Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is sponsored by our good Canadian friends at Dream Symbols. If you're not familiar with Dream, they make some really awesome hand-hammered, hand-crafted symbols and some gongs and special effects and all kinds of crazy, funky stuff. So check them out on their website, follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and later in the show, we're going to dig into some of their new models. So here we go. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 120 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up and give you the official camp announcement, we'll talk about linear drumming. Our featured artist this time will be Mr. Taylor Hawkins. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Dream Energy Series and Dark Matter Eclipse ride. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Bam! I didn't hear your snap, so he must have been good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was it was perfectly Slam city. spaced out <laughs> the way it always is. But it always ends up working in the end. So I, I would say we don't talk about dogs, we don't talk about weather, and starting next episode, we don't talk about the snap. Yep, that's We're 120 out. episodes deep, and we, just, we are pros now. We need to talk about What's, that intro groove. How about that? Dude, fuck August <laughs> coming with some heat. I love it. It's uh it's really cool. I also saw somebody put on Mike's lessons this post about how impossibly hard it is to do one measure of a groove knowing that every drummer in the world's gonna hear you. Yep. Uh, and I was like, Welcome to my world. <laughs> Drum yeah. festival, no nerves whatsoever. 120 episodes worth of making intro grooves. Man, talk about some self-loathing and just like depression. <laughs> it's the worst. Oh man, uh, no Buck sounded great. Buck, I, I wanted to pick his. Buck crushed it. He was the first one to submit, and I wasn't surprised because he's been a loyal listener and supporter and just absolutely all around great guy. So I want to make sure we got him as the debut guest intro drummer. Yes, um, and definitely laying it down. Nice sounds. Wonder what yeah, Kitty's using. It's awesome. Wonder if that's that little uh, Questlove kit or not. I don't know. I just I actually just played his Questlove kit. We had a little Sacramento drum hang, and he's in Chico, which is about two and a half hours away. It was at uh, one of my students, Karen Ruggiero's house, and it was myself, Buck August, Ernie Learn, and uh, 
I can see him. In, oh, Bo Askew. I was like, I can see his his cute little face in my head. <laughs> and I played his CNC kit that sounded amazing. Uh, so yeah, Bo Askew is there and Sarah Hope. And if you don't know Sarah, she's incredible. She actually organized a female drum camp in Texas last year of all former Mike's Lessons campers, but all all the ladies. And she put on a, a an incredible camp, like took them to this massive studio and I, nice. so much. So anyways, we had a good little hang and I got to play on uh, Buck's Questlove kick, kit and that was my first time playing that drum set. It's actually quite a functional drum set. Yeah, for sure, right? Wow, was that... Yeah, there's like two versions of that, right? There's like the pocket kit. It was the... And- yeah, this was the street... I don't know. It was Silver Sparkle. <laughs> it was a Ludwig. So I said, is that the Questlove kit? Break Beats or something? Or the Beat kit? Break or, Beats? Yeah, know. that might be it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the it was the Fat Beats kit with PH. Yeah, it's killer, man. Anyways, I played it. It was dope. I had fun. And Buck sounded fantastic on the intro. So I don't know if that was... I think he has either a DW or a PDP in like um, like Emerald Green. So I don't know if that was his full kit or if that was his Break Beats kit. But it sounded fantastic. And... If you're listening right now, listen all the way till the end because we have someone else that's going to play the outro groove. That's right. We got enough entries in one week to fill the entire month and then some. So we're going we're gonna to double Sweet. them up. <laughs> that's fine by me. I'm, I'm good. I, I get some time off to actually <laughs> practice stuff. I've got, I've got so much stuff coming up. It's crazy. I, I, I just started booking things, and it felt like when I was booking things that 2018 was this endless year that I could just fill in with anything. Mm. And then all of a sudden the schedule starts coming together and yeah, I'm I'm literally two thousand eighteen is done. I, I can't fit in anything more. I've got ten drum camps. I've got twelve, including the twenty one drums and the one with you and Carter, which we'll talk about in a second. I've got the UK drum show. I'm gonna do a European clinic tour while I'm over there. I think if we can work out the details, I'll be on the um Ralph Angelilo Angel how do you say his last name? I don't know, the, uh, the one that used to be the Montreal Drum yeah, Fest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Ralph A. Festival. So I think we're going to be able to work out the dates for that. And then I've got three clinics coming up at the end of uh, – or at the beginning of January, about a month from now. I'm going to be doing Bentley's Drum Shop, then Skip's Music in Sacramento, which is my hometown. I haven't mm-hmm. done a clinic in my hometown in, like, forever. And then I'm going to end the trip up at Revival Drum Shop. Wow. So Now, when is all that all kicking that's in? Is in the fall? That's – no, that's – um. That'll be January 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. And then go to NAM, and then come straight back from NAM, and the, the last day of NAM, start a camp with Carter. Right. Then in February, camp with you and Carter <laughs> in New York. Dude, I'm telling you, 2018, and, and then at some point, it's like, oh, 10 drum camps in a row. Then go to uh, the thing in the UK with Benny, Jojo Mayer, and... Uh, Who's the awesome trip hop drum and bass guy for Minol? Um, I'm leaving you out on the ledge here. I don't know. <laughs> dog, come on. Oh, you got to be kidding. Richard Spaven. All right. Dude, have we started recording yet? Because I'm just like going. What's going on with you? I haven't heard your voice in the last oh, 10 minutes. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing like that. That's for sure. <laughs> Dude, when I have like one down week after a vacation, I book an entire Man, year of stuff. You're like, yep, I'm good for the next 30, 365 days. Yeah, I don't need done. A <laughs> no one's calling me lazy. You don't need to practice for any of those either. No, what? Practice. 
What are we talking about? Practice? <laughs> yeah, I've actually been, you know, holding up in my studio learning a lot of music and it's been uh it's been tough to like get myself motivated to practice to learn music, but then once I get into it, there's so I I really miss like analyzing other people's playing and learning all the nitty gritties and I find so mm-hmm. much value in that, like actually trying to become the other drummer just as a test. Because, uh, yeah. but it's it's hard to kind of get the ball rolling. Like, oh, I got to learn this tune. But then when I get going, right. it's like, wow, I'm, I'm discovering all kinds of stickings that this player uses that I never would have thought of. And yeah, it's pretty cool. Discovering like just timing tendencies of what I do versus what someone else does. Okay, a lot of fun. So I'm yeah preparing for yeah, a couple I of think... gigs and and some other stuff. So it's it's been a lot of like I'm back in grad school again, like playing along the Philly Good, Joe man. records or something. <laughs> I think getting the ball rolling for practice in general is is tough, you know. True, um, yeah. We have such a time crunched lifestyle nowadays and and it just feels almost weird to carve out 90 minutes to sit on a drum set and do something or more. Last night was my first deep deep practice in a long time where I was working on this track that I'm going to be using in my clinics. And then, and I thought the drumming was so beautiful and delicate, and I just thought it was wonderful. And then I thought, can I keep playing this style of drumming without this track? And then, without the track to fill in all of my crap, uh, no, the drumming wasn't beautiful and <laughs> delicate. It was actually quite raw, and um, it wasn't anywhere near as pretty as I thought it was. And I thought, like, okay, I'm going to sit here for the next two hours or until my rear end can't handle it anymore trying to make my drums sound beautiful without backing tracks and it was it was an awesome practice it was like a good 80 percent of that 90 minutes or two hours or however long it was was eyes closed you know mm-hmm. i mean just almost meditative style so so yeah get it but i if i could do that every night i'd be weckle but i can't <laughs> motivate myself to do that every night <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, a good practice that I I tell a lot of people when they come for lessons is to play along to your some of your favorite tracks, but only record yourself. And then when you yeah. listen back, you're like, whoa, Great. you know, what am I? I wasn't even <laughs> close to sounding. I mean, you don't need to hear the reference track. You can tell like, whoa, my, right. my bass drum is dragging or something. Yeah, it really reveals sure. itself. And you hear drums by themselves. It's almost like. You know, it's the emperor's new clothes. You're like, whoa, I don't sound yep. good at all. And that that's what was going on. You know, I, all the emotion that was in my playing was coming from the vocalist. This is a this is a drumless track, but it's not meant to be drumless. It's just a song from um, a group called Little Dragons, and the song just doesn't have drums. So I was using that, and yeah, I mean, it was all everything that was emotional in my drumming was coming from her and her vocals and yeah. when i got rid of that i couldn't create that emotion and so i just sat there on the drums and um you know at, by the end i was like that was painful but i feel like i've grown a lot and i can't wait to do it again tomorrow so yeah take it sweet good stuff all right well let's uh, talk about the camp real quick before we get into our uh, linear drumming stuff so the camp is on it is official Indeed, I got sweaty palms. Are you excited about it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's. But you mean sweaty palms of excitement because you're so excited? <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I was like, wow, this uh, thing is actually me. real. We're doing this. Cool. All right, confirmed. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be at Full Moon Resort uh, in New York. And since you are a New Yorker or a New Jerseyer, you can tell me: is that upstate New York, Big Indian? 
you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a native of this area. I don't know when upstate. Okay. I mean, I would assume it's considered upstate, but it's okay. definitely not New York City, anywhere near it. Okay, yeah, <laughs> we're out in the middle of nowhere. It's February. It's going to be cold. Bring a jacket. February 22nd through the 25th. So you guys will arrive on the 22nd, and we'll have a nice orientation dinner, and we'll all hang, and we'll get prepared. Then we'll have camp, full days of camp, 23rd and 24th. And then on the 25th, that's when you can book an evening flight home or you can drive home. We'll have a nice uh, round of goodbye speeches and just kind of wrap the whole camp up. So it's going to be an amazing, amazing weekend or you know, a few days to, to hang together. And the good news is it's not one of those fantasy camps where Carter, Mike, and myself go to the hotel after every time we teach we are right. staying with you we are eating with you we are hanging with you and we are eventually blurring the lines between teacher and student until we're all just one cohesive group and then mike carter and myself happen to be pushing the education of the group forward but we're all in it together so it's going to be a really really cool experience and our, if you guys want oh go ahead i'll say and it's also our first live podcast taping attempt i know <laughs> right it's going to be awkward <laughs> Yeah, with a with an audience that like has to fake laugh or yeah, I, it's yeah. gonna be and, and we can have our first guest. We can have Carter as a guest. That's right, man. That's so gonna should be, weird. be fun. <laughs> I know it's gonna be super weird. Maybe but we should awesome. Skype anyway. <laughs> From I'll while we're sitting right room. next to each other, <laughs> yeah, I'll just exactly. Uh, no, it should be a lot of fun, and uh, the count in will be great because it'll be in real time, <laughs> and that'll be awesome. I could do it on a drum set. So if you guys want to attend this camp, you really, really should make the inquiry now because if you do it before Christmas, what is it? You get 150 off or yeah. 125 off? Yeah, nice deal. 150 bucks off. 150 That's a huge discount. Yeah. yeah, pretty nice. Yeah. So uh, once again, the camp is called the Playing With Purpose Camp. The, uh, the subject matter is the fact that all three of us are teaching you to play everything you play with purpose and a, having a practical application for whatever you're practicing. There are so many times when all of us practice and there's that little creeping thing in our in the back of our minds going, why the hell am I doing this? Is Am I ever going to use this? And I've really discovered that even the most abstract thing I've ever practiced, yes, you do use it. You just <laughs> yeah. don't use it verbatim. You don't use it exactly as it is. I can't remember if I've ever in a gigging situation played a straight up paradiddle groove but I can't imagine not knowing the mm. standard paradiddle. Like there's yeah, so true. many times that it's shown up in my drumming, but it doesn't show up the way it was taught to me. It's just that it helped my pattern recognition and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So just go to playingwithpurposecamp.com, playingwithpurposecamp.com, and you can sign up there and you can learn more about it and the schedule. And especially if if you're hoping that maybe your parents will get this for you for Christmas, they can get all of the information about the resort and where you'll be staying and how awesome it is all of your meals will be provided so it's an all-inclusive when you pay you're getting your room and all of your meals so should be fun sweet let's talk drums dude that felt like a commercial <sighs> Throw yeah, up. goodness gracious what are you talking about so we're going to talk I'm about, about linear drumming <laughs> talk about things that i've never actually consciously used <laughs> linear drumming. <laughs> yes <laughs> love it but that's not to say it doesn't creep into my plane a lot I just never oh, sat down and said, "Let me play. Let me write some linear grooves." That's never once popped up in my head, but I know that since I practice this stuff a ton, that it just kind of falls out naturally sometimes. Yeah, and I think also there's a a weird thing that people think that linear drumming has to stay linear for 
once you do it, you just have to stay there the whole entire groove or the time you're playing. You know, there's there's little snippets. Maybe a half of my measure is linear and half of the measure isn't. I don't. I'm the same as you. I actually have practiced this extremely diligently, but I've but when I'm on the kit, it never occurs to me to be like, let me play a linear thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just play drums. Some of it's linear, some of it's nonlinear. So just to break it down for those of you that are new to the world of linear drumming or haven't heard this term before, linear just means, in drumming terms, just means that no two limbs play at the same time. So you'll never have your hi-hat and your bass drum play at the same time like they would in your standard pop groove. Uh, You'll never have your snare drum and hi-hat play on two and four like you would in a standard pop rock groove. So linear means that everything is being hit by itself. Um, And so if you hit the kick, the hi-hat, the snare, and the hi-hat, and you did that over and over again, that'd be a simple linear groove. Kits, cats, kits, cats, kits, cats, good. How was that? Yeah, I, and you know, it's a good point. You have to kind of you know, make sure that I think the, the implication of linear is this like cross rhythm, crazy fills kind of approach, but that's not necessarily what it is. It's not just, at all. Yeah, I mean, it, no. when I think of when, it, when I hear guys talk about linear chops and stuff, that's the first thing I think of is they're talking about these like over the bar line triplets and. All this right. kick, you know, all these fills with the kick involved, but right, yeah, you're right. I mean, just a basic disco beat is technically linear. Is linear, yeah. As long as it's not the four on the floor disco beat, then yeah, it's linear. Um, you know, if it's just kick on one and three, you've got your linear thing going. And I mean, single strokes around the kit, they're linear. You know, so yeah. it, it can be. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. I think it's just that how it was brought to us through Garibaldi and Chafee in book format that it was always kind of a complicated thing but it it really doesn't need to be and i think that if you want to think about a great use practical application of linear would be just the little snippet of backbeats on two and four that charlie watts does he just doesn't play the hi-hat with the snare yeah and it's just like cool (laughs) i highly doubt he's like non-linear linear non-linear linear like (laughs) i hope he is i hope that's what he's thinking (laughs) <laughs> for, for 40 years of beats non-linear linear non-linear linear so so yeah so i think that linear drumming is something that we all do whether it's conscious or or subconscious but then practicing it and finding what i like to think of as linear vocabulary words that's a different thing so as far as this is in the current issue the um january issue of modern drummer right yeah yeah we have a real kind of basic one-on-one level fundamental article where he just defines linear versus non-linear and just gives you a couple really simple you know linear beats that aren't they're beats they're not fills. so he just kind of focuses on basic beats that don't have any limb hitting at the same time and i don't think he's going into like odd groupings or anything like that at this point either so just real kind of basic fundamental stuff that's the best part about it is that i think a lot of times as soon as we throw that term linear at the front of something then it's this pressure on the educator to make something incredibly insane and what i love about joel rothman was it was like this article won't scare anyone away from linear it'll bring them into the world and just be like oh i could totally do that so yeah it's just, um, and I also really like that in the article he shows the nonlinear version of it. So if you played both on the drum set, you could hear the textural difference between doing it linear and doing it nonlinear. Yeah, it looks like in most of yeah. his examples, it's just a matter of the bass drum having a hi hat doubling it or not. That's kind of how he mm-hmm. differentiates it. Yeah, makes a big difference. And that's, I mean, those stacked notes they do sound different. Bass drum and hi hat together sounds a lot different than bass drum without the hi hat. You know, you're putting all yeah. that high-end sizzle on top of that low-end frequency so So in a linear fashion when you get rid of that it's pretty cool i was just thinking about like if you said 
if you asked me, do you, Mike, do you play linear style? I would say no. But then if you asked me, do you play with a flow of stickings? I mean, that's that's how I improvise. It's just a flow right. of stickings. So and very few right. flams. So that is linear because I often end up just replacing one of those rights or lefts with a bass drum. So okay. I'm, so let me ask you this: I'm gonna I give you four minutes to improvise on the drum set percentage-wise, what do you think the percentage would be of things that stacked on top of each other versus linear notes all played by themselves? If I, was, I bet it'd be like 90% linear. If I was playing I mean, like a groove-based solo, it would be mostly non-linear, but if you were just like, just flow, just play, where it's kind of blurring right. the lines between groove and a solo and a fill, it would probably be mostly linear, for, except for the occasional, right. like a thing that I do often is I'll double the right hand with the right foot. Like, that's just a thing. Sure. I'll do a broken pattern right. where those two limbs are locked together. But for the most part, I'm just thinking this, like, string of, of stickings that go around the kit. Right. And I bet there's very few times well, I when mean, the left foot is, like, chomping the same time as a snare drum right. or something. Unless I'm just keeping yeah, time. And I, I mean, that's another... I think we can get into the minutia of it and say, okay, in your standard pop rock beat, four of the notes are stacked, non-linear, and four of the notes are linear by themselves. So it's half and half. But I don't consider that to be linear drumming. I, I think we're zooming out at least one step further than that and saying, okay, looking at this groove, does anything hit at the same time? Yes. The kick and hi-hat hit at the same time, and the snare and hi-hat hit at the same time. This is now not a linear groove. Right. Um, so I'm thinking of it in pattern terms. And yeah, if you were going around the kit... I think most of it would be linear, but then there would be these little punches, these little stabs that you would hit with, you know, the right hand and the bass drum. And then there would be the Dawsonisms where you're doing kind of the Chris Dave right hand and bass drum kind of play together. Um, yeah, unison. So, so I, I consider think, those unisons. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, and I, I think really if you want to get into linear drumming, it's taking at least a measure of time or a pattern between your hands and feet and making sure that nothing hits at the same time. Um, now, so would you my, disqualify if, like, a, one of my kind of uh, anchors is to just have the left foot play eighth notes? But I could technically still be right. playing linear with the other three limbs. Would you say that, that's no longer linear, even though it's... No, to me, that's linear with a timekeeper. Ah, okay. It would be nonlinear to me if you were doing that same thing, but using the left foot to stack onto a, note, a unison to create a certain texture. But if you were keeping time with your left foot, even though we can all agree technically that's not linear because they're going to land at the same time, but I see it as like, okay, three parts of my body, three limbs are completely improvising in a linear fashion, and then I'm just giving the audience a timekeeper with my left foot because I have the independence to do so. So I wouldn't say that's taking me out of the linear world, um, you know, unless we were being sticklers to the rule. But hmm. thank God it's art. <laughs> we don't have to deal with that crap. Um, Although I, I think, think it would be know, a good practice yeah. challenge to sit down and say, "I'm going to only, I'm going to improvise, and it has to be 100 percent linear." Like, can you put yeah. that kind of a restriction? I often uh, pick like a sticking. Like, I'm only going to play inverted paradiddles, and then as soon yeah. as I break from that, I stop and start over. Like, how yeah, long yeah, can yeah. I play a double stroke roll without breaking the the roll? Like, it's a, it's a pretty well, we fun have, challenge. We have a, a thing at camp where everyone gets an eight-note linear pattern, which is kick, right, left, kick, right, left, right, left. So kick, right, left, kick, right, left, right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, right, left. And they have to come up with a two-minute drum solo only using that pattern. But they can change the rate of speed. They can change the dynamics of each note. They mm. can have it be syncopated, kick, 
right, left, kick, right, left, right, left, kick, right, left, kick, right, left, right, left. So they, they can go all over the map, but it has to stick to that linear pattern. And it causes them to realize how deep they can go in something. It's like, why are you learning 2,000 notes when you could do so much with eight <laughs> yeah. or four or yeah, three? Exactly. Um, but I, I think that the one thing that I want to throw out there for people that are starting to get into linear drumming, especially especially linear grooves. So whether you're working on my book, Linear Drumming, Chafee's books, or uh, Garibaldi's book, because there's a whole – I think there's a whole section in Future Sounds on linear drumming. Mm. Um, or there maybe there's just a lot of it that happens to be linear without it being titled. But anyways, one thing that a lot of people really struggle with is when their phrase is over and maybe and the great thing about linear drumming is you can take the groove and then just move it somewhere on the kit and it makes a killer fill every time yeah true the problem is when you come out of it you have this desire to hit a crash symbol and that's going to be your first <laughs> note that you play with that's non-linear and it'll throw the entire pattern out of whack and so you mm. really need to practice crashing on the one and thinking okay if it was kick right left kick right left right left and i crashed on the one with the kick the next note would have been a right hand on the hi-hat. So I got to crash and sweep down to the hi-hat real quick. Um, yeah. So I think you know finding those little things and looping it over and over and over again, that'll really help people when it comes to linear grooves. Because what I hear is my students go, and then they do their fill, and they go back to standard groove because they lost the groove. And I'm like, oh, man, you lost it. So I think that grabbing that little problem and making a new exercise out of the problem will really help when it comes to linear grooves. But definitely check out Joel Rothman's article in the current issue of Modern Drummer with Taylor Hawkins on the cover. Then get into the Chafee stuff, get into Garibaldi's stuff, and and then start to open your mind to just listening to it in general. And then you'll start to hear like, oh, that's a linear groove. Okay. And you'll start to see why they have a musical purpose. Yeah, so I guess I go back on my initial statement. I, I, I play in this style all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love hot rods. But I would never put a label on it. <laughs> Right. And I think that that's one thing as somebody that's been very involved in this world. That's exactly how I feel is the whole reason I worked on linear drumming so hard was because I could not have a conversation between my hands and my foot. And linear drumming Mm -hmm. opened that up to me. I could finally have these patterns that for somebody that didn't have a lot of independence, it was a little easier for me to go, well... You hit the snare, then you hit it again with the other hand, and then you have two bass drums all by themselves while you put your hands up in the air like you're being held up by a gunman. And then you have two more right hands and then one kick drum. So for me, it was just like I just looked at each note. I was like, I'll hit that one and then that one and then that one. And it made sense to me. So once I really had a great handle on linear drumming in multiple subdivisions, I tried my best to forget all of it. And it just shows up when it needs to. And now it's just drumming. Not mm-hmm. linear drumming, not non-linear drumming. I just play drums, and that's that's the goal, at least for me. Yeah, you know, I think it's linear is a, practicing linear drumming is a good way to kind of free yourself up to getting out of the blocky. Like I play a beat, I play a fill style. That's that's what it's the value for me is it's if if because again I think of the sticking, I don't think of the orchestration, and then I just right. improvise with the orchestration. So then I can use 
whatever, a paradiddle diddle and play it for 10 minutes, but it never sounds like I'm just playing a paradiddle diddle because I'm always just messing with the orchestration, replacing some of those with the bass drum. I think that's a kind of a key for me to kind of get out of that, like play three bars of a beat and then play a fill that has absolutely nothing to do with the pattern of the beat and then go back to the beat. Right. It all kind of stays in the same. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, that might be helpful for you would be to start thinking of whatever you're working on think of it as okay do i have my linear version and my non-linear version just for a soundscape so let's say you were doing paradiddle diddle and you put your right hand on the ride cymbal left hand stays on the snare and your bass drum mimics your right your ride cymbal right so ding ding and then you say okay i want to keep that same phrasing same subdivision but i want a linear version so now you replace the left hand with bass drum and it's daku da goo daku da goo You still have a paradiddle diddle, but now it's the linear version. And when you start to break things up like that, then you just get these different variations that maybe wouldn't have shown up if you were only satisfied with the non-linear version. Dig it. All right, I'll go practice. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> go practice. All right, let's talk about our featured artist. Featured artist this month is, or at least on the cover of Modern Drummer, is Mr. Taylor Hawkins. He is, in my mind, the epitome of a modern-day drumming rock star. Yeah, I think that, I think so. Uh, I have to agree. He is he is our he's our rock star right now, and which we don't have many. Uh, of. Was, it's a sad state no. of rock stardom right now. It is. It is, and I don't know what modern rock star means. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I think we we could clearly define it in the sixties, seventies, eighties. And then the 90s took it away from us and gave us the anti-rock star. And then after that, things just kind of all blended together into this amalgamate of things where it's like, I don't know who's pop, who's rock, who's country. I, I don't know what's happening. Like, yeah. you know, as soon as country artists in like the early 2000s had like bedazzled jean back pockets, I was like, I'm confused. <laughs> that's not Merle Haggard. I don't know yeah. what's going on. And they're and always so all solo artists. Thing. And, you know, that's what drives right. me crazy. It's all like you have this band you've been using for 20 years, but it's still just your name on the marquee. Like just give your right. band a name and let's let's, <laughs> let's go back to the, the good old days. I think that days. would be like my stipulation would be like, hey, just so you know um, – I'm going to take half the rider that I normally do. So if you give me $100 a day for food and for expenses, I'll take 50 bucks. but I'm going to name our band. And you don't have to tell anybody about it. I'm just going to put it on the bass drum head. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, we are in a band, dude. I've been playing with you for 20 years. So the bass drum head will say, you know. Uh, the Johnstons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Billy Squire and the Dodo Head. That's what it's going to say. But you can call it whatever you want. So, okay. So Taylor Hawkins showed up on my radar with Alanis Morissette. Yeah, same with me. And, you know, I think if you compare the drummer that he was in those early days to the drummer that he is now, I think they're almost two totally separate musicians. I completely agree. He was actually quite more busy yeah, more in the Alanis Morissette days. Yeah. Totally, and and chops yep. and real flashy. Now he's just a powerhouse rock drummer. Yeah, and I got to say, when it, when he first joined the band, I was a little disappointed just because I liked his kind of crazy Stuart Copeland vibe. Right. But then the more I kind of let that go, I'm like, he's the perfect drummer for the Foo Fighters. I mean, who could possibly step in to Dave Grohl's gig and be and his who drummer? could hand. Yeah, and who could handle that 
on an ego level yeah. where you know that – so Taylor to me is a is a legitimate fantastic drummer. Even if we get rid of the band stuff because I think you know, maybe some people don't want to admit it. But there's band drummers and then there's the, the deep drummer world. Yeah. You know, and I, I try to not mix the two up. I don't put whoever's playing for the strokes. I don't put him – in my mind up against Vinny and be like, Nope, you can't hang. It's like, well, I don't know how good, you know, Dennis Chambers would sound in the strokes. So I yeah. just I leave them all separate. But I think if we got rid of the Foo Fighters and got rid of Alanis Morissette, we could all agree that Taylor Hawkins is a legitimate drummer, like a bad Ernst drummer. Yeah. For sure. So for him to know that, but still be able to take what I'm assuming in the very beginning at least was a ton of critique and advice from Dave Grohl. That's a tough – got to have a real brotherhood and a real trust going on. Yeah, especially when everyone is thinking, you know, you're not Dave Grohl. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> yeah. he's kind of our generation's like Ringo Starr, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And in the beginning – I mean I'm sure you've seen the Foo Fighters documentary, but everyone was just kind of like, dude, can you stop with this – silliness at the front of the stage and go do what you're good at you know and dave's like dude i want to do this and (laughs) i think i was i was lucky enough to be out on the road with the foo fighters when taylor joined the band oh in his first tour so we were doing european festivals and i remember that it was a really big deal because to me i was such a huge fan of alanis morissette's live band because that had the bass player from, uh, uh, oh man, what's uh, Perry Farrell's band? Uh, Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction, yeah. Yeah, sorry. So it had the bass player from Jane's Addiction. And I mean, just the whole band was killing. And Alanis was, she was quite the performer. Mm-hmm. I know people probably put her in this like pop radio category, but she had a great live show. So I was really excited to see Taylor play live. But, you know, I was like, you know, I was kind of bummed that I wasn't going to get to see the Stuart Copeland Taylor play in Alanis's band. Yeah. Um, but it was great. I got to see him play like maybe three or four nights in a row. And then we ended up flying to do the uh, last ever Woodstock. And that and Alanis was on that. And I saw her play with Gary Novak. So I got, oh, to, I got both. And all was cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Taylor, I just remember thinking like the first time I saw him play live, I was like, I don't wish Dave Grohl was on drums. I think this is awesome. So did he already sound like a power rock drummer, or was he still no. kind of doing the he uh, was the more Stewart little five stroke rolls into every <laughs> downbeat? Uh, I mean, he was hitting like a monster because he always has. Yeah, but yeah, it was very um, flamboyant. I guess you would say it just had pizzazz to it, and yeah. then it just slowly over time became more thunderous and just now he's just a straight up rock and roll drummer. And it's incredible. Yeah, have I you mean, met Taylor before? I have not. Nope, I have not. And I, I'm actually kind of late to the Foo Fighters because I was a you know, I was a, a huge Nirvana fan, and then when Dave stopped playing drums, I'm like, I don't know if I'm really going to dig on this. I liked the first record. I didn't love some of the videos. I mean, it was just something weird about the Foo Fighters. It was just me being a Nirvana snob. But it wasn't right. until a few records in when the band kind of became solidified. When it wasn't just Dave Grohl's solo project that you know yeah. when Taylor was actually appearing on the tra- on the record, and it was like, oh, these guys are. They're they're are they're the band. They're the rock band of our generation yeah. right now. And to think that they've been yeah. doing it longer than Nirvana did is, is just mind blowing. Yeah, by a, by a long shot. Yeah. And I mean, I 
I think that for anybody that's on the fence about Foo Fighters, definitely watch the Foo Fighters documentary because that explains everything that you might be on the fence about. And when you see Dave talk about how the reason our videos are like that is because if we're going to have to go make a stupid video, let's have some fun, you know, and that but but. Like you said, it was just like, man, I wish these guys would just take it seriously. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) They were just being – he was just being so goofy and I totally get why now looking back because, I mean, think about how heavy it must have been to be in Nirvana and have it end the way it ended. But, yeah, I was just like, stop being goofy. Just play, man. (laughs) Well, and now they – I mean, you know, I will say this too that the band that they are now is so vastly improved, which is a rare thing. Usually there's this – Okay, the band was on fire, and then it just got kind of watered down for the next twenty years. They are, they are on top of their game still. I mean, they're just killing it, and they sound great when they play. And then, I think Taylor has found a good balance too of like, hey, I- I'm sorry, but your frontman happens to be a flat out rock star. Like, legit, the world loves him. So don't. Don't lose your mind. You know, don't go don't go all Odell Beckham Jr. and try to get all the attention. Just let it be and you are amazing. And so I think it's a really good balance, you know. Although How's that the- gonna play in the New York market? <laughs> oh, he's injured, he's out for a season, who cares? All right, cool. <laughs> but I mean if you did you look at the setup shot that, that we got in the, the issue? It's kind uh-huh. of it's kind of absurd. He's he I mean if you look at it, he probably has like thirty five symbols set up and Every drum. I think what he did was he took pretty much everything he used on the record and just made one giant setup out of it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's clearly not what he's actually oh, gigging wow. with, but oh, it's pretty funny. Okay. I feel like all right, all right, there he goes. He's going back. I mean, he's going over the top. <laughs> that is awesome. Just concert toms and everything. Yeah, exactly. Or one one concert tom. I think there's a, a uh, maybe a roto tom in there somewhere. Uh, there's all kinds there's of craziness. <laughs> And apparently awesome. his live setup has already changed from what we took a picture of. It's different. Fantastic. He's got the symbols. I mean, he's got the giant boom arm symbol stands that have like the right. thirty pound counterweight on the back. Good God! He's going. You ever smacked 70s. your head on one of those? Probably. I had a couple of them. I've, you know, the, actually, the one symbol stand that lasted me the longest was one of those giant counterweight. It was actually a Blackhawk, like a Blackhawk symbol stand. Lasted forever. Really? Yeah. I got it when nice, I was like man. 10 years old, and I finally just stopped using it when I was like in my 20s. Love it. <laughs> well, he's got he's got the he's got everything. I mean, yeah, there's one, two, three concert toms. I'm pretty sure one of the concert toms in the picture doesn't have a head on it. It's not a clear head. He actually doesn't have a head on it. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Look right by his head. No, it's the got one a, right by his head. It's got a clear head. It's got a moon gel on it. It does. Yeah. Okay. I can't. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking on online. Um, <laughs> check out moderndrummer.com for a grainy picture of Taylor's setup. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, so I, I definitely would put Taylor up there in the you know Hall of Fame of modern day rock drummers. I mean, totally. and I, what I really yeah. love too is knowing that he has all of that finesse and all of those chops that we saw in the Alanis Morissette days, but he's he's doing what's right for the band yep and there's still never a time where i see him play something with the foo fighters and wish he did more 
I'm always satisfied with what he plays and think it's brilliant. And now what I really kind of dig too is now we've gotten to a place we knew in the first album and the second album, we knew that everything drumming wise was coming from Dave Grohl, whether he played it or he orchestrated it. We knew where it was coming from. And now we really don't know where this is coming from. Is it just Taylor gets to do his own thing and then Dave just either approves or doesn't? Um, you know, yeah. I really don't know. Well, I mean, some of that footage in that documentary of them in the studio is, is I think it's amazing because you can kind of see the band dynamic. They're definitely a band. They definitely right. pick on each other. You know, Dave yeah. is, is clearly the ringleader, but he's not he's not above, you know, making fun of himself. I think right. you can really and tell. And he's not that, saying like, yeah, he's not going full drum nerd on Taylor, you know, like he's letting it happen. But I mean, some of that stuff, you know, every year at camp, someone I, I would say like the the part that I always wait for is who's going to try Everlong first in the nightly sheds. Someone's <laughs> going to be like, because so I've got my iPad here in the in the studio uh, in the control room. And then the campers tell me the song. I look it up on Apple Music. I press play, and they go out on camera and do it. And I love when somebody's like, oh, "I'll do uh, Everlong by Foo Fighters." And I'm like, oh, "You should stretch. Seriously, give me your I wrist. I'll rub your wrist for a little bit." Playing that on gigs because the bands always want to play it too fast. Get like to Dude, the bridge, and you're like, "Oh my god, I can't even get close to playing these fills right at this speed." <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a that's a big kid song. So, well, guys, check out Taylor Hawkins and just type in Taylor Hawkins, comma Alanis Morissette into YouTube to see what Mike and I were talking about. It's a very different style, but I also think Taylor deserves quite a bit of credit. Before we move on, his snare was super tight at a time that we had left the Stuart Copeland thing. We'd gone back to like big fluffy drums and I'd never seen anybody put their rack tom as flat as he did. <laughs> yeah, that, did he that start was like that. the beginning. Oh, I go to it's yeah, it's um it's either it's uh the song you ought to know and there's an MTV live version or an MTV version of it from the MTV MTV Awards and then there's also one from the Grammys, I believe. Um or maybe the American Music Awards. Is that the Grammys? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> you got me. There's a, there's a t- yeah, I don't know. I, I know that I'll never be nominated for one, so I'm not yeah. worried about it. But I remember there was a few awards shows, and his rack tom was completely flat. And I, that's when everyone started ordering 10 by 7 oh, and 12 right. by 7 instead of 8 and 9 because it was like that's the only way you could get it that flat. So pretty cool stuff. So check out Taylor Hawkins. You won't be disappointed. All right. Sir, it is your time to give the kids what they want. Give them some candy. Oh, yeah. Right. So this show is sponsored by our friends at Dream, and it just so happens that I reviewed some of their new models in the January issue, so we're going to take this time to thank them for sponsoring, but also critique their new symbols. So what you've got, what did they send me? They sent me the Energy Series. They added some bigger crashes. Um, so we've got like 19 and 21-inch crashes and then a 21-inch ride. The Energy Series is Dream's kind of more rock level weight i was totally not prepared for this sound at all yeah but they're not i mean they're certainly not if you would buy a, a, any symbol that says rock on it by any other company this is going to be about half the weight of that i would say no i think these honestly sonically stand out uh i if you said when i when i look at like the companies like in this what would you call it boutique symbol companies or you know yeah, I don't know what you were Anyone, it. I don't either. But when I look at symbol companies like this, 
my first thought is, oh, what's the Zildjian equivalent? What's the Paiste equivalent? What's the Sabian equivalent? Mm. And this is a set of symbols where I'm like, uh, nope, these are 100% dream. Like, I have no equivalent. They are really quite original sonically. Um, they have, I would say, maybe the closest thing would be they have this Paiste-ness to them of the clarity mm. and the way they cut through. But then there's this, like, weird awesome china thing right at the end yep. of the decay i think that's a As, signature I mean, dream thing every all, okay. all their symbols have an element of kind of grit and funkiness that you know they just yeah. just doesn't go away well let's listen to them I mean, they're. I really have no complaints about them, right? I mean, they're they're smooth and bright, but also, like we said, slightly trashy. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like the the use. I, I really think the rock thing makes a lot of sense because the the sound that I'm hearing it's 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 a cutting sound. It's going to cut mm-hmm. through totally. your guitars and your and the bass. So I think they kind of nailed it on this one. Um, yeah, my my biggest complaint with rock symbols is that they're always just kind of like dull, you know. Like they got a lot yeah. of punch, but then that's it. There's like I feel like there's like someone spray painted yeah. the, the symbol. They're just like dull, but these don't have that. Right. Well, and when you make a symbol that's so thick that you're going to call it a rock symbol, it breaks really fast because it doesn't flex. Yeah. So you I give these it. people that are hitting so hard. A piece of metal that won't flex, you know, like I used to have the Z Customs. Oh, yeah. I never cracked a single Z Custom. I only broke pieces out of them. <laughs> and and I just remember thinking, like, all right, some lucky person in the crowd that didn't get cut can wear that as a necklace now. Like, I did, just chunks would fly out of those symbols. And it was because they were – it wasn't the symbols' fault. It was because I was hitting them way too hard with my five Bs turned around backwards. But they don't flex, you know? And I think with these, you're going to get... They cut, but like you said, they're they're not as thick as what we would consider to be rock symbols. So they're going to flex a little and handle the punishment better. Yeah. I think the only... For me, the only place for heavy symbols is if you need a real pingy ride symbol that you're not going to crash. Yes. Or hi-hats that you just need that really kind of gnarly sloshiness. Crashes, I mean, I'm paper thin, thin, medium thin at most, no matter what gig it is. Right. And I could be swinging and, yeah, I from think- the ceiling, and, I, and I'm not going to... 
I mean, I need them to have some. I don't want my hands to just get all beat up, smashing on. No, and I think after medium thin, it starts to go backwards on you. Um, you're not getting more out of it. It's like you said, it gets more, more and more dull, and it takes more effort to get to where you were with the medium thin, anyways. Um, you definitely need a rock symbol if you're going to do blind by corn. The Did bell. You play that intro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Ding 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 ding. Yeah, well, that's what um, I mean. A good pingy ride on a loud rock gig. I mean, you, you have to have it. I think if that's the yeah. sound you're. Or a metal for. gig where you're going for extremely defined notes. Yeah. Totally makes sense. But I could see this like going from that aggressive. These symbols would be great from aggressive pop all the way up into heavy rock, and they would sound great. But what I like about them the most is they're not going to sound generic because of that little bit of China right at the end of the decay. Yeah, that just makes them like ah, oh, I could I could see a sound guy come up to you and going like, dude, what kind of crashes are those? I've never heard yeah. that before. Yeah, it, um, it reminds me of like a, a really well worn in symbol. Like it's a little bit of totally. You know, it's, it's had a few thousand smashes and. It's kind of a little bit bent, but you can't tell, and it gets that funky wobble. That's kind of what they seem to have to me. Like someone's just been wailing on them before they sold them. <laughs> Dig it. And I can only assume that these, just like all of Dream Symbols, are in a somewhat affordable price range. Yeah, totally. I, I didn't have the cool. prices at time of the review, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of shocking the, the level that they can keep these things at. There you go. Check out Dream Symbols. You can also just check out that full video, the full video of uh, the clip we played. You can check that out on moderndrummer.com, and uh, you can get into there. All right, you ready to get into some lettuce? Some lettuce? Let's get some lettuce. <laughs> yeah. Let's some, come on. Love myself some Adam Deitch. Let's do this. All right. Our first one is from Matthew. Um, he says... Even though you have listeners all over the country and world, do you guys ever have feelings of conflict when you suggest online retailers for shopping? Or is it your assumption that the average drummer tries to utilize their local drum shop first whenever available? Oh, I totally, totally sympathize with this. Um, yes, I I think if you have a drum shop, you, you got to go there because drum shops are just special in general. Totally, um, yeah. That's why I'm doing this little West Coast Clinic tour of Bentley's Drum Shop, Skip's Music, Revival Drum Shop, because it's not just because I want to do cl- – if I want to do clinics, I could just do my own clinic. I have a building. I could just open it up and say, hey, I'm going to do nine <laughs> clinics in a row. Come on. I'm doing the clinic because I also want to visit those drum shops and get in like a full day of hang and check out the gear. So I think with – Mike and myself, we're also assuming that it is a big country and not there aren't as many drum shops as you might think. There are so many entire states that don't even have a dedicated drum shop. They yeah. might have a drum department in a music store, but a drum shop is a little bit more rare than you might think. Yeah. I mean, I think for accessories and things that you know are going to be consistent, you, know, you kind of just got to get them wherever you can. But if you're going to check out cymbals and snare drums, I certainly would suggest going to the shop. Uh, and the, hopefully the person that owns the shop has a little bit more knowledge and kind of maybe steer you to the right selection rather than going onto a website and guessing that you want the, you know, Zildjian K custom special dry ride, but you play in a metal band and it has absolutely right. no sound when you take it to a gig. Right. Uh, so I think, yeah, I we I default to websites just because we're dealing with the digital world and you can we can include links and stuff. But right. I mean, I think shops like Philadelphia Drum and I mean, there's so many that are just those guys are so passionate about what they're doing. You gotta, you gotta go yeah. check it out. And it yeah, seems like there's I mean, more and more of these guys are kind of picking the kind of stock that they think 
players in their area will want, which is also really That's helpful. the thing. The, the one thing that you know the big box stores did for us was they just said, okay, this is all the generic gear. And then all the drum shops got to be like, cool, so you're going to carry that. We're going to carry stuff that no one can find anywhere else. Yeah. And that's what's, That's why I want to go visit Shane at, you know, Drum Center of Portsmouth. And, yeah, what a great looking I mean, shop. When, <laughs> right? It's like, you know, I, I mean, yeah. So that's, uh, there's, I, I don't think there's probably very many fans uh, or bigger fans of, of mom and pop drum shops than myself and Mike. We, we grew up in them and we love them. There you go. So next one is from Harrison. Says, I'm trying to chart out the Winton Kelly version of, uh, is it Ill Wind or I'll Wind? I'm not sure. But I'm having trouble determining what form the composition is in. Any tips on how to determine whether it's the blues, AABA, etc.? Just want me to dive in on this one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, for me, I just, I just use, I don't know, that's a tough thing because it was never taught to me. In a music theory sense, I just use my ear. I, I, yeah. I can hear the A section, I can hear the B section, and I just know how many bars they are. Yeah. And, um, but I, I don't know if there's something more on the melodic and harmonic side of things that yeah. let, would be a trigger. Totally. I think um, this is actually something I was hoping to kind of discuss in, in the camp and as part of one of our just sit-down hang sessions. But mm-hmm. the first thing is, well, maybe it depends on what you're listening to. I don't know that record. If Wynton Kelly doesn't play the melody very obviously, then you're, you know, you're talking about astrophysics when you should be talking about Algebra 1. Uh, if, like Keith Jarrett, for instance, he almost never plays the melody in a way that's obvious or plays the chords in a way that's obvious. So it's like that music mm-hmm. is is for people who already understand how he's deviating from the norm. So... I'm assuming it's a Wynton Kelly track. It's probably a little bit more structured. So the first thing I do is listen to the chords and the harmony and how does it, when does it repeat? If it repeats every, mm-hmm. yeah. essentially AABA means there's going to be an eight measure chord progression and then you're going to hear it resolve and do that again. It's going to do that same chord progression twice and then it's going to change keys and go somewhere else for eight bars mm-hmm. and then it's going to come back and you're going to hear it resolve, you know, leading back to the original progression. So you have eight measures of one chord progression. They repeat that chord progression. They go to a different key for eight bars. They come back to the original key for eight bars, and then that cycle just repeats until the end of the tune. I mean, the blues form, you just kind of have to learn. It's a it's one chord progression, then it goes up to the four chord, and it goes to the five and the four and back to the one, and it's in 12 bars. That's just – you just kind of have to get used to hearing that. I think that one's kind of a little bit more obvious. Song forms, because there's many different song forms. Right. There's ABA, there's ABA, there's AB. You just kind of have to just hear and learn where does it repeat, identify when's it repeating, right. and then count the measure, you know, the measures. But what I'd like to do is memorize the melody and then throughout the entire tune sing the melody. Even, sing it. Even when, they're, even when they're soloing. And then you can Especially kind of, when they're soloing. That's when your comping yeah, will exactly. make some sense. And you can really hear, oh, he's going to the to the other key signature. That must be the bridge. So this song right. definitely has a B section. You know? Yeah, and I you know it's when I first started playing uh jazz that wasn't big band, <clears throat> when I first started doing combo stuff, you know, I never really understood when a drummer would maybe switch from one ride to the next. Yeah, it just right. was like, are you sick of your ride? I didn't know <laughs> in the soloing. I didn't know, oh, you're still in the form. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and, and once that happened, I just could help the song so much more. The other thing is when you as a drummer know the form, 
It's really weird that we as drummers just assume that everyone else is really smart and we're the stupid ones. <laughs> yeah. They're just as stupid as we are. <laughs> so they could a soloist can get lost in the form. Trust me. That oh, happens a happens. lot. Yeah, I mean, and it's horrible. There's been <laughs> so like, many tenor uh, saxophonists. I'm like, dude, do you know where right? we are? <laughs> exactly. And when the drummer knows the form, I can help the saxophonist, the trumpet player, the piano player. I can help them by emphasizing something to let them know, hey, we're in the B section now. Um, yeah, and that can get them back on track and really steer the ship again. So knowing the form is important. You know, yeah. I pretend to be a, a a stupid melodic drummer, but I mean, I still I still have to play these gigs and still have to get through them. And I don't want to just be sitting there going like, "Well, Jimmy Cobb played quarter notes, so it's good enough for me." Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I want to help the band out. So yeah, so I think that um, recognizing the form, starting with something easy, you know, find some songs that are based off rhythm changes. Find some Gershwin tunes where you just kind of yeah. – it's so obvious, A, or, A, B, A. Yeah, or pick a tune that has the word blues in the name and then you know <laughs> yeah, it's a 12-bar exactly. form. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so insanely obvious and so just not obvious at all to drummers or to us as musicians where it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. There, are, there are a few that actually aren't blues. But in general, you'll right. they'll be in a blues form. But yeah, I think last thoughts for me on this is – of course, you need to count the measures, but you need to very quickly transition into just internalizing the sound of those chords. You don't want mm-hmm. to be counting 16 measures, 8 measures, 8 measures, 16 right. measures, 8. Because you, you don't really know why you're counting those measures. If you can internalize right. those chords, because they're very – I mean, the chord progressions are very common to what pop music – I mean, they're essentially playing old pop songs. So the chords are not right. complicated to kind of follow along, to just internalize them. A lot of times I don't even know if it's a 24-bar or a 36-bar form. I just, right. I've just internalized the chords to the point where I know, I know how this flows. And that yeah, frees me up. you know what's up. coming up next. And, yep. Yeah, I don't have to count. I think when you're counting measures, that's when you kind of get yourself in trouble. Right. No, I, I agree with that. All right, let's go on. We've got one from, uh, let's see, a last one from Nick. I would love to hear you two debunk the term Latin music. What country's styles and grooves are represented by this term? Uh, he says, I'm interested in diving deep into world music. So are there, are there certain books or resources that I should check out? Well, I, th- I think right off the bat, when it comes to anything that is culturally based, <clears throat> go to the source if you can. I'm not saying you have to fly to Cuba to learn Cuban music, but find out there's probably a Cuban drumming educator that you could get something from, you know, I, uh, and, and if not, maybe you can find somebody like Chuck Silverman, um, before he passed that was at least making trips there often and had friends from there Mm. and was getting all the information from the source. So, uh, you know, when the whole thing kind of exploded with Horacio and, uh, I'm not quite sure how to say his name. Is it Ignacio Barroa? Yeah, yeah. He's so great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was um, those two books. So uh, Horacio had Conversations in Clave, and then uh, Ignacio had one coming out around the same time. And I remember I was so excited because I was like, cool, I'm getting I'm getting this information from the people that live there and grew up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like to get that stuff from there. And then I also think it comes down to – listening to the music just like jazz it's like you got to listen to this stuff um you should be able we do this in camp all the time i put something on and i'm like just tell me the country you don't have to tell me the groove <laughs> yeah. but as soon as you heard that one instrument you should know that's brazil they don't have a cuica 
in Cuba. Right, like, right, right. As soon as I hear that McDonald's straw going up and down in the, <laughs> the cup and go, kick, 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 like, I just know this is Brazil. Like, and so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like you have to know these things and recognize them. And I would say, what do you think are the most influential countries as far as what we use in modern American drumming? I would say definitely Brazil, Africa, and Cuba. Um, do you think well, India I mean, makes it in? No, I don't think so. Not, and I, I'm not obviously really. that's not Latin, of course. But yeah, I would say I mean Brazil because because bossa nova became such a popular worldwide music and mm-hmm. you know samba and yeah, I mean Af- they call Afro Caribbean because you've got multiple different you know different styles there. But yeah, I think Cuba is the root of all the Afro Afro Cuban Afro Caribbean rhythms that we think of like mambo and well. Yeah, and I think also, too, if you listen to American music, it's pretty easy in rock, pop, and definitely, definitely hip-hop to find the the 3-2 clave rhythm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that was coming, yeah you, can, you can tell that that was coming straight over from Cuba into New Orleans, and right. they were bringing that. And I'm not rhythms. talking about drumming. I'm talking about, like, vocalizations. I'm talking yeah. about just rhythm in general. Yeah, the you know? syncopation. The Bo Diddley beat is, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's essentially one of the definitions of jazz is it has to have syncopation, and, and syncopation is a three over two by by definition, which is right. a clave. I mean, it's it's just right. the root. <laughs> it's the key, yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah, absolutely. It is, absolutely. And so, yeah, and, and I think that... That then when I hear any fusion that has kind of that halftime Afro-Cuban 6-8 feel, that's when I feel that Africa brings its influences. And obviously we've left Latin America again. But the one thing that can be really tough for anyone that wants to get into this, Nick, is that once you get into uh, Brazil and then Argentina and then East, East, and Colombia and they all start yeah. mixing it like, woof. Man, you're talking like that groove is going to change from neighborhood to neighborhood. Even states of um, Brazil. I mean, they're, they're totally different. That's rhythms. what I mean. Like yeah. neighborhood from neighborhood. <laughs> like, like, man, I drove two doors down and they're playing it totally different. You're and, using uh, guitars. What? What's that all about? Right. Like? Totally. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, okay. So, if you were going to refer somebody to a book, yeah. what would it be? I mean, there's been so many great ones that have come out since I was really deep into studying this, but the two that I think still are kind of at the top of my list are the uh, Bob Wiener Afro-Cuban Rhythms for Drum Set and Brazilian mm-hmm. Rhythms for Drum Set. They're kind of set up identical, so you can you can study right. both genres with some history. He gives you all the folkloric patterns and identifies the classic instruments, and then he just applies it to the drum set. And I think those... Especially because for me, they, the CD that came with it, there was some traditional versions yeah. of the music on there that was really important. To answer his first part of that question, how do you define Latin music? I think we've kind of we're getting past that. I think it was a, an arrangers issue, like big band arrangers. They didn't really know what to call something, so they would just put right. Latin. Sometimes it would be a samba, sometimes it would be Afro-Cuban. So that. I don't think there's one way or the other. I think it's totally dependent on the, the composer or or uh, arranger. I don't know what right. technically Latin would mean, but my first assumption would be Afro-Cuban, not Brazilian, because I would think they would put Latin. They put Latin jazz. That usually, to me, signifies samba. It's mm-hmm. so gray. It's so gray. No, it it's, is absolutely. It's generally just ignorance of, <laughs> of <laughs> arrangers. Yeah, that's and that's the thing is you know I think uh, man. I think it was actually Ignacio. He was on the same PASIC that I was on in 2012. Um, 
And I remember going to his master class and he was imploring people just by saying, hey, I know these are beats and fills to some of you guys that are drum nerding out. This is like our culture. So if you could just kind of take it a little seriously (laughs) and research it a little bit and listen to the music and try to trace the history of it. You know that that would mean a lot to us. Um, yeah, that's and true. so so I I agree with that stuff. So definitely um, check that stuff out. And uh, yeah, and then um, go down the rabbit hole. Watch yeah, a yeah. watch watch Eloy Casagrande play a bossa nova with with Sepultura, <laughs> and it'll blow your mind. Um, also check out the Latin Rudiments by Chuck Silverman. It's a great one as well. Yeah, there's so many great resources now. I'm jealous of of young drummers <laughs> these days. It's like we had the – those were, I, I think, know. the only two Latin books that I remember existing oh, at yeah. the time. Yeah, and I, I always called the grooves Casio keyboard grooves because drum teachers would always teach you this one-measure pattern. And they're like, this is a bossa nova. And I'm like, really? Yeah, did you, get the, of- did you get the one sheet of um, – I don't know what they were called. They were called like stage band grooves and it had like yeah. – the cha 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 and all that. Yeah, stuff. exactly, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know what always threw me off was when somebody would be like, "Give me a Roomba," and I'm like, "Yeah, a Roomba, yeah." You mean a, a, a you want me to give you a dance period from <laughs> pre nineteen or post nineteen sixties? And I was like, "Okay, um, Congo." That's but, my favorite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, give me a Congo. That's the best when you have a band leader that calls the Congas Congos. <laughs> You can just play the Congos or the Bongos. I'm like, like you talking about okay. the African country, Congo? <laughs> <laughs> I really Goodness can't. Gracious. I can't do that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Please keep sending in your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We appreciate them all. It is now time for our picks of the week. You want to go first? Sure. I've got a uh, this book. I don't. I think it might have came out a little while ago, but I just got my hands on it. It came out this this year, but earlier this year. It's Klaus Hessler's Camp Duty Update, which we did a okay. we did a feature with him uh, earlier this year, and he kind of was still working on it. But it's out now. And again, this is one of those. You know, when I was coming up, I was just so hungry for like rudimental history. Like, where does this stuff come from? Why do we play these things the way we play them? And Klaus went deep. He's going back into like ancient rudimental drumming. He's got the old notation in there and the contemporary way of, of interpreting it. It's really fantastic. And he's uh, dealing with some of the stuff that, at least in the States, we don't talk about the kind of Swiss interpretation of, of right. rudiments, which is a lot of quintuplets and things that are really, really tricky, but a lot of fun. And he's got great videos of him demonstrating almost all the pieces so if you're a nerd like me and want to know everything about the history of rudimental drumming, pick up Camp Duty Update by Klaus Hessler. It's it's five stars in my book. Awesome, man. Uh, well, mine is life-changing as well. Every year around this time, Trader Joe's releases their candy cane peppermint vanilla green tea. <laughs> this is decaffeinated for those of you that need something to drink in the evening. And it is only available for a limited time. I'm telling you, this tea is a game changer. You it's and game your changer. tea, man. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Are you got a side hey, hustle? I- Are you making tea? Is that what <laughs> Trust me. I have wanted for a long time to in uh old town Folsom here right where our business is I've wanted to open a tea shop and just have like <laughs> I mean the primo stuff like the 
Killer green. The Kush tea. Killer green. <laughs> the Kush tea. <laughs> Lebanese blonde hat tea. Uh, so I wanted the goods. So, yeah, I'm not kidding with you guys. Go to Trader Joe's and get the candy cane peppermint vanilla green tea. <clears throat> it's only available for a limited time. Buy as many as you can. Your family will thank you. It, it's like it's Christmas in a cup. It can't, it can't disappoint. <laughs> I feel like I, yeah, I feel like we're good. All right. You gave him a little bit of rudimental knowledge, um, and I'm going to, I don't know, hydrate him. So there we go. All right. So we, should we let Chris Langan uh, play us yes. out? <laughs> yes. Please play us out with your fat grooves. <laughs> How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.